I am the host of Antonio Time Daily. My name is Antonio Myers. I have an outstanding individual for a special guest. Her name is Diane Randall. She is energized, committed, and passionate about leading wellness conversations around life balance, mental wellness, self-care, self-realization, plant-based nutrition, and whole life wellness. Her joy is seeing individuals adapt health and wellness methods that reduce stress and bring harmonious balance to their lives. She excels at equipping busy professionals with workable wellness advice and strategies that meet their demanding lifestyle. She is an author, consultant, workshop presenter, and college instructor who taught stress management and resiliency techniques to Chicago police officers. Diane is a professional speaker and former podcast show host whose articles have appeared in publications such as the Vegan Street, Plant Pure Nation, New York Times, Balanced Choice, Consulting Magazines, The Active Times, and American Holistic Health Association, AHA. She has been, on, been a guest on numerous podcasts and appeared on television, including a guest appearance on the Oprah Winfrey Show. Hmm. To discuss successful relationships, Diane has earned Life Coach Guiding Mindful Change Coach Certifications and attended the Institute of Integrative Nutrition in New York City has a master's degree in spiritual psychology. Please welcome the famous and more importantly, awesome Diane. Woo! (laughs) How are you? I'm well. <laughs> and how are you? I'm well. I'm well also. Um, beautiful day here in Chicago and uh, happy to be here talking to you. <laughs> yes, I'm glad we keep talking as well. Question number one What are some strategies for overcoming negative talk or negative thoughts? When I, what I tell people is to acknowledge that the voices are there. Mm -hmm. Uh, You hear the voices. And a teacher told me many years ago, you don't have to believe everything, anything that comes up in your head. So when people hear the voices, it's best to acknowledge the voices. I say, write down the voices, for example, one voice at a time. Uh, For example, I'm not smart. Uh, Write that down and ask yourself the questions. Is it true? Do Mm. you have proof that it's true? And, And how can you reframe that voice? if you can't find the proof. So it's acknowledging the voices and bringing them to the forefront, making them uh, real instead of in your head by writing them down and then really examining to see if they're true or not. And it's, it's practice, it's a practice. Oh, I like when you say reframe because it's a way it's an alteration it's a 
360 degrees or 180 degrees. Uh, it's, I think it's a positive replacement. Choosing positive reinforcement over negative reinforcement. It's, it's like if you say, I'm not good enough, change it to, I am more than good enough. Right. And if you, if you really believe, you know, believe I am not enough. Okay. Write down, think about that. Pull that to the forefront. Um, write that down. It, is it true? It could be true based on your past or based on what someone's uh, told you. But what I have people do is really look at those negative thoughts and examine whether they're true or not. Mm. Or if you say, my mom told me this, my dad told me this years ago, and, and, and I would ask the bigger question, what is it costing you to continue to believe that I'm not enough? And usually that's where the answer comes. How, how is that showing up in a not so good way in your life? Right, because uh, it's pricey to keep paying for a needless misery. Yes. And it's not worth the causes of unnecessary hurts, unnecessary habits, unnecessary hangups. Correct. Can you provide three ways someone can begin to transition to a plant-based lifestyle? Yes, I can. Uh, I've been plant-based for 14 years. Uh, I grew up on the standard American diet. Uh, so I've, I've had many, many years of practicing. A start to a plant-based uh, diet could be one, uh, one food at a time. For example, um, what I say is uh, do something we call uh, crowded out. For example, eat your regular meal, pile on as many vegetables as you can, your favorite vegetable. The idea is to eat the vegetables first and then your regular, let's say mac and cheese and, and fried chicken, <laughs> okay? The idea is that if you eat, if you eat the vegetables first and you, and you eat a lot of vegetables, then you're going to minimize the macaroni and cheese and the fried chicken. And the idea is to just increase over time, uh, eliminating one uh, bad food at a time. For example, if you like mac and cheese, there's so many healthy ways now to fix the mac and cheese. And it's, it's just partly of, of a person experimenting. For example, mac and cheese, you don't have to get the white pasta anymore. You can get uh, pasta that's made of lentils and chickpeas and as well as uh, cheese. You don't have to get the dairy cheese. There's so many different foods today that you can try. And it's really not being hard on yourself about it. It's being patient with yourself. 
It's attending and reading uh, books and classes like or going to websites like Fork Over Knives, for example, to get webs, uh, to get recipes to try, or another good site is Oshi Glows to just test some of the foods that are available that are plant-based and uh, vegan, which means uh, no, no animal products. But it's all a process. It really is. Hmm. Yes, to have more greens. Uh, lentils and beans and seeds. Yeah. And there's so many different ways you can cook things. People say, I don't want to just eat salad. Well, you don't have to just eat salad. Just have more salad and less of the other food pyramid members. Yes, actually, that the regular standard American uh, pyramid does not really well I, it changed a little it changed a little but it doesn't really encourage you to eat all the whole foods and when i say whole foods i mean like whole grains uh, vegetables uh, things that are made with seeds and plants i am Really glad you're talking about plant-based uh, plant because I know particularly in our, you know, the Black community, we have a harder time with food deserts as well as being more prone to bodily ailments, physical diseases. And some of it is because of dietary choices that have been abysmal. Um, and so I think that this, what you're saying is very much helpful to a brand new start in terms of our relationship with our own bodies and our relationship with our own health. And, and here's the here's the great thing. There are so many uh, community gardens now, uh, even especially in neighborhoods with food deserts. So it's um, um, things are changing, but I hear what you're saying. There's no grocery stores or all the grocery stores have moved out of certain uh, neighborhoods. But there's also, like here in Chicago, there is a, a food truck that goes around with, with vegetables to different neighborhoods. So communities are finding different ways to bring in healthier foods, healthier vegetables. But I, you're saying too, there needs to be education because a lot of people have no idea what it means to eat whole grains, to eat whole foods to eat uh, plant-based. So education is very key. How can someone begin to set healthy boundaries? 
the healthy boundaries is, is really key. Um, what that means is when someone asks you to do something and you know in your gut that you don't want to do it, but you do it anyway. So people say, well, how do I know if my boundaries being crossed? Uh, I would say, you know, because you have that inkling, that feeling in your gut that energy that says, oh my goodness, I don't want to do this inside. But then you say yes, in spite of everything, <laughs> you go ahead and say yes. So what I would say is you can tell that person, for example, if your boss says, I need you to stay, I need you to write a report. So in your mind, you, 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 you have to go pick your child up from the daycare center, for example, at a certain time. But you, when your boss says, uh, write the report, you say, okay, I'm gonna write the report, but in a very kind way, you, you say, I'll, I'll have it ready for you at nine o'clock tomorrow morning. Instead of feeling like you have to stay there the whole, you know, three hours getting this information or getting this report ready, it's setting that boundary because you know you don't have that time today. You have to go to the daycare center. But it's really setting boundaries to uh, protect uh, things that are important to you. And I know many people feel that they just can't set boundaries because they don't want to upset anybody. So again, I always use the term, what is it costing you not to set boundaries and how is that showing up in your life and usually when i go back to the cost the priciness of of uh of not setting boundaries then people start to remember and it's not because here's what happens also you're saying uh, yes against yourself so over time what happens is one day that person will ask you something and you'll be so angry about it. And this typically happens, mm -hmm. for example, and you're so angry and then people are looking at you like you've lost your mind, but you have gone against yourself so many times that this time just put you over the edge. So what I say is eventually, eventually it will catch up with you uh, by not setting uh, healthy boundaries. And why not do it in a way with love and kindness instead of waiting until you've reached your threshold and then you're just mad at everybody or just going off on everyone instead of protecting yourself. So if someone says, uh, can you come to our uh lunch part our uh, dinner party with the department after work, and you say, I can't come because I have to go feed my kids or you say yes I can go for 15 minutes and you go for 15 minutes versus just staying the whole two or three hours and then you're upset because you have again you have again not set boundaries and you forget you have again put something else over what's important to you and what you have to do. So it's practice uh, setting those boundaries. And that reminds me of 
reframing a, a, a sense of acceptable, a sense of being acceptable, instead of finding acceptability based on yourself from others, mm-hmm. you can be a self pleaser much more often, and not always be about satisfying others to the detriment of thyself yes 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 and that is uh like and and that happens to many of us because in childhood uh nobody's uh uh, t- teaching us about boundaries, our space is being walked in and out of our whole life, and this really shows up around maybe college, but definitely when you go into the workplace or as you become adults, because many of us don't recognize it until uh, you know we get to a point in our lives and we have different kind of relationships where we're out in the world every day. And this is not just people out in the world, it's family, uh, it's, it's your children, for example. Uh, and I can remember this when my kids were little, you know, I'd clean up the room, you know, I take time to clean up the house. But as they got older, uh, they had to do what was age appropriate in terms of keeping that room clean. I would set a boundary that I'm not cleaning your room anymore. And and that was the agreement we had with each other. And the boundaries have to be clear and firm, but with love and kindness. When you say that self-fulfillment and self-care are self-honoring, what do you mean? Many times when we think about ourselves, and this is the messaging that we get in society or from our family or just our inner, just our outer world is that when we think of ourselves, we're being selfish. So if I'm thinking about what I want to do, I I want to just, just be in my living room watching TV by myself. And I, I don't want, I, I need that peace of mind right now just to kind of check out of my external world. So I don't want company. I just want peace in this moment. And this is just an example. So people might say, oh, you're so selfish because you don't want anybody, you know, sitting in the room with you, but it's really self-honoring because in this moment, I need quiet. I need to just be with myself for self-renewal purposes, not being selfish, like, oh, this is about me, me, me. That's what I mean. It's not about me, 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 me. It's about doing things to renew myself so that I can show up for the people that I love and the people that are around me 100%. And learning to show up for ourselves. Yes. Um, What are some ways someone can begin to implement work-life balance and create the life they desire? That's a that's a that's a big one and it's a hard one. Uh, COVID has really many people are working from home, but it's caused many of us to just stop. 
because of the impact of what COVID's doing to us in one way or another. So what I say is COVID has slowed us down. Not, you know, not in a good way, um, but it slowed us down. And this is what we're, we have to deal with. So this is a great time to kind of look at what you're doing, how you're spending your time. Uh, this is a good time to look at what you want. What are you living the life of someone else or are you living a life for yourself? It's taking that time to really look at how am I spending my time? What am I doing on a daily basis? Do my actions support what I want most for myself? So if I want a college degree, does my daily life and what I do support that college degree? Whether it's going to school two days a week, two nights a week, whether it's really uh, doing exploration or discovery on what I want, you know, what do I want to be? What do I want to do? It's those daily actions that support an overall goal about the life you really, really want for yourself. Because if you're not, if your thoughts and your actions aren't in alignment with what you do on a daily basis, then, then your the life you want is it, it's out of alignment and it's out of alignment because those things have to align your thoughts, your actions and what you do on a daily basis all have to support uh, what you want for yourself and what you feel uh, passionate about, what, what will make you happy. A lot of people, some people say, I'm not happy. I don't like my life. But, but it's thinking about what do I want? What do I want my life to look like? When I, when I visualize my life, what am I doing? Who am I talking to? Where am I living? It's thinking about all these things and drawing them out on paper. And I love to have people write on paper uh, in first person Okay, this is my life. This is what I want it to look like, even if it's not real, but it's, it's, it's allowing you to take that vision and putting it on paper and, and making it as real as possible. And once that vision is, is on paper and you clearly under, you know, it's written down, then what can I do to make this real for me? and do my thoughts and actions uh, align and what I do on a daily basis. Is it in alignment with what I say my life vision is, my overall vision for myself is? So I'm learning that there is a magnificent self-regulation as being of self royalty and um, being your own sense of relaxation, um, being your own stabilizer to stabilize yourself 
and this is this is with not just by, to, by yourself, but sometimes you may need support. Sometimes you may need therapy. Sometimes, some, sometimes you may need a community of like-minded people, uh, whether, you know, like now we can't show up anywhere, but definitely online. There's lots of uh, communities, for example, that are online now. So it's, it's what is the life I want and what tools and resources can I use to help me create uh, my own personal uh, vision for myself. In, in your book, Jumpstart Your Life, you talk about creating meaningful affirmations to help drive change. Can you explain that further? Well, but, and, and it's so good we're talking about the affirmations are basically they help to anchor and integrate uh, what what you want for yourself. So if you if you uh, uh, if you have a goal, um, it's like affirming and just visualizing. And I just talked about that being that new you, that that person who wants to live in New York and work on Broadway, for example, uh, each morning, uh, it's, 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 you look at the goals and actions that I just talked about um, and, and, you, and you really look at what the new you would do that day. And you see yourself uh, taking the actions and making the choices of your own uh, of your new ideal self. So if it's working in, on Broadway, living in New York, you see yourself, you picture yourself on stage uh, in the play or whatever you're trying to do. And as I said earlier, the alignment piece is very important because you have plenty of chances to practice being the, the new you, the new person that you want. So when you're tempted or you go back to your old pattern where, oh, this is not going to work or behavior, then you can um, uh, write your affirmation. It's, I'm living in New York, dancing with Alvin Ailey dance troupe. This is an affirmation. I tell people to write these affirmations down that you have for yourself put them in your room, on your closet. And I say closet, like closed closet in your bedroom because every time you open that door to that closet, uh, you read that affirmation or in your bathroom because put it on the mirror or on the side of the bathroom mirror. So when you go and you look in the mirror, you see those affirmations. And what happens over time is those affirmations that you created, uh, uh, about for the life that you want for yourself, that starts to get anchored inside of you. And then you set goals on how will I achieve what I want? And it's small goals, small steps. On the topic of creating the life you desire or jumpstarting your life, what's some roadblocks what are some roadblocks that someone finds when want to when want to implement change? And then, 
What are some ways they can get on the road toward dreams they once thought unattainable? A big barrier is fear. The fear of the unknown, a fear of something new, a, a, a fear of, of getting out of your comfort zone, doing something different that you've never done. And when my students or my clients says, tell me that they're afraid, I say, do it anyway. What is, what is one thing you can do? Because change is uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. So stepping out of your comfort zone allows you to create something new for yourself. Because if you're not stepping out of your comfort zone, then you're just, and there's nothing wrong with staying comfortable if that's what you choose to do. But if you're a person that wants change, then stepping out of that into something new, into something you desire. For example, I talked about going to college, uh, getting, getting a degree stepping out of that comfort zone of, I can't go back to college, I'm too old, into, I signed up for my first class. I'm nervous, I'm uncomfortable, but I'm doing it anyway, as an example. Lastly, talk about what it means to break unhealthy habits. Breaking unhealthy habits is really a mind shift. And what I mean by breaking unhealthy habits, it doesn't have to be bad habits. Breaking unhealthy habits could be things that you've always done. Uh, for example, you've always belonged to a book association and you go to the meeting every month, for example but you've just been going to the meeting, it no longer serves you um, in a way that adds value for who you are today. It did at one time, but you're spending two hours uh, at this association meeting, let's say every, every, every month or every week, and it just no longer serves you. Un breaking unhealthy habits are all the habits that no longer serve us. Um, uh, in our lives, it could be it could be uh, food that that no that no longer serves us because now this particular food or the way I'm eating is making me sick. It's causing disease. It's breaking those habits, uh, getting tools to help you uh, release or to stop doing things that just don't serve you in your life anymore. And that's also, that could be old relationships that are just, um, you know, because I knew this person, we work together, we're not really friends, but, and this is just an example, but we're hanging out and you really don't know why you're hanging out. <laughs> it's just something you've always done. Breaking unhealthy habits allows us to get to the true, the truth about what we want in our lives, the people, the, the things we do. Uh, if, if, if I'm a smoker, uh, that's an unhealthy habit. That, that's an obvious unhealthy habit. That, but the habits I'm talking about are things that we do, whether it's uh, relationships, whether it's 
belonging to uh, belonging to associations or clubs, as an example, things that just don't serve us. It could be that job that you've been on for the past ten years. You're not getting promoted. Uh, you're. It's just the job has really run its course. It's what about that job is keeping you there? So the unhealthy habit is staying on a job that no longer serves you. You're not gonna get promoted. You're not learning anything new. You're just used to having that job. And I'm not saying everybody that's been on a job 20 years needs to change it. But if you have these feelings inside of you, it's breaking that habit of, of just having comfort every day but you have a desire because this is what change comes from desire to do something different. Some people don't, uh, you know, I have sisters that have been in their jobs for 30, 40 years, which is fine. But if you have that desire inside of you, then this may be an unhealthy habit that no longer serves me. And I need to, explore and discover because of the desire I have, what's next for me. So what I got out of our interview today is the value of having a, an ethical support team including having self-ethics too and to have a balance of being therapeutic to self and allowing others to help therapize you when absolutely needed. Yes. I got the value out of what you insert in when it, what you insert into your body can be a mood influencer and it can be an attitude influencer yes and it can be a an influencer of one psyche and if we sabotage our own greatness then that means that we have either chosen not to learn or have not been taught how to nurture our excellence within. We have to be mindful of what we incorporate and what we um, are excluding from our own livelihoods. We have to be of mindfulness towards self and others. And we have to be studious of what we are meditating on because that will determine the outcomes of our own decisions and to respect consequences, which also means 
first you have to respect um, our own selection. So I want to thank you for um, sharing those um, crucial values of, of humanity. Thank you for um, inviting me, Antonio, to talk to your listeners. Um, and thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you for helping me to, to, to be a light to them. And thank you for being a light to them also. Awesome. And um, I always ask these questions so I can mature as a podcaster and a host and as a person. Uh, did you feel safe and respected during the whole interview? Yes, I did. Good. And... I felt safe and respected the whole interview as well. And lastly, were you comfortable the entire time? Yes, I was. Sure was. I enjoyed it. Uh, myself as well. I, I enjoyed having you. Um... I hope you can keep in touch. Um, this doesn't have to be the only time you come on. If that is your choosing. And um, thank you kindly for being a light to me too. Well, thank you. Uh, I will... Hopefully talk to you next time. Take care, Diane. Okay, thank you. Hey, hi, I'm Dr. Lynette Louise, also known as the Brain Broad, actually more often known as the Brain Broad, um, which is a, a moniker I kind of gave myself when the Brain Lady was to was taken. And um, it's really kind of grown to fit me as I work abroad and um, I've had to be pretty tough in some of the cases that I work on. I remember just to give you a sense of what I do, I work on brain optimization internationally. And I was in one family's home and I have one hand out holding the woman at bay and the other hand out holding the man at bay. And I'm like, all right, we can do this. You know, we can do marriage therapy and they're fighting and they're spitting and trying to get at each other. <laughs> and I'm like, but if you look down, you'll see you're causing your child to have a seizure. And that's kind of the picture of some of my days. So I have become quite abroad at times while I'm abroad. And um, the pandemic has certainly changed the flavor of things because I haven't traveled much this last year and a half. But, uh, but I'm sure that'll resume fairly quickly. So that's what I do. I, I work with people who are trying to help themselves uh, function better. And that can sometimes include... Marriage counseling, but it's usually <laughs> it's, it's usually focused in autism and uh, you know Parkinson's addiction, you know some some pretty serious challenges. Uh, I really um, 
I am really excited about you said Lord autism. That's exactly what I hear. Yeah, that's what a lot of us are, darling. <laughs> you know, I, it's funny because um, you you wonder what brings you to a field. You know, I remember at one point noticing, gee, most of the people that have dedicated their life to breast cancer, either had breast cancer or they know someone who did, most of the people that, and you, so you start to see that, you know, as much as you don't want to have challenges in the world, it's the challenges that educate you and bring you to sort of a practical answer in many respects and invite you to try to step into that field and change the way it's being handled because you know the pitfalls of the way it's being handled. So autism is no exception there. I, I didn't know why I started. And my backstory is that I adopted a bunch of multiply challenged children. I already had two and um, they all had some form of autism. And I don't know what made me have an affinity for that. At least I didn't know it at the time, but many years later I went to a psychiatrist and I said, you know, my kids and I have an awful lot in common and they're not my <laughs> biological children. So maybe we should just go through my story and see. And of course she ended up saying, well, I think you had Asperger's, although it appears that um, working with your children and trying to help them has led you into enough good therapies and practice that you don't have it now. And that's even that in and of itself is interesting to talk about because so many people see autism and think, well, you have it or you don't, you can't cure it or you can. I mean, it's a huge argument out there in the world that causes all kinds of anger and, and uh, guilt for parents and stuff. And really, it's just because we don't have a physiological diagnosis with autism. We have a behavioral one. And if behaviorally you don't fit the parameters anymore, then you could say that that person no longer is. But whatever got them there in the first place is still there, probably. When you said Asperger's, that's what I have, too. And um, I like when you said challenges educate, because there is wisdom within the storms. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think that you're one of your attractions to wisdom is why you help people function well because or to function well you have to have a mind and brain that you have to cooperate it to do that so I right. think I'm also glad you're you sound like a bubbly person which I am too so I like your laughter and enthusiasm it's really, it's really really um fantastic and fabulous um, well, thank you. You know, I remember, can, can I address that for a second? I, uh, so the, the thing, the memory that hits me all the time about my personality is I had all these kids and, you know, I'm making it happen. I'm making it work. I'm finding the money. I'm doing all the stuff that you do to try to help them and raise them and feed them. And anyway, so we're all bowling and, um, I guess my, the daughter I'm going to refer to was probably about 14 at the time. So I would have had children age 17 to seven at that time. And there were eight of them. And uh, so we're all bowling and I, you know, I bowl and I turn around, and I come back and my daughter says, you know, it's really okay if you smile when you bowl and then you hit all the pins down. <laughs> and 
I realized that right in that moment, and I'd probably heard it many, many times, but I realized I had this fear of kind of a looseness of personality, of showing myself as, as a happy um, and alive, as if that could somehow be stolen from me if people saw it. And it was interesting to get that kind of advice from my daughter and then act on it. And it took a lot of practice to become bubbly, but I worked hard and here I am. <laughs> well, I thank you for accepting the constructive criticism of your daughter to show more of your liveliness and animation, you know, your cheerfulness and joviality. Um, I think that, yes, positivity can be hard work. Isn't that funny? People, it's true, huh? <laughs> thank you. Because a lot of people make it seem like that toxic positivity is real positivity. Case in point, what? You're sad? You're never supposed to be sad. You have to enjoy life all the time. What's wrong with you? Why <laughs> being a part of people like so being human is a crime? That's toxic positivity. The one you're talking about is real. Of I can address the challenges, but I don't fixate myself on them. I fixate myself on what is true, what is noble, what is right, what is noteworthy, what is fulfilling, what is hopefulness, what is helpfulness. That's what we're discussing. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting thing. I don't think I've ever been on a podcast and talked about this particular subject before, but when you're happy, you're more likely to, um, at least when you present yourself as a happy, sort of lively person, you're more likely to have people respond as if, you know, kind of roll their eyes and she's a way too happy and life's not that easy and life's not that great. And people don't... Um, often give it sort of the power of the strength that it has. Um, instead, they, they honor and focus on the people who are angry or the people who are sad or the people as if it must be real if you have a negative emotion. Um, I can explain that as far as how the brain works. And it is logical that we pay more attention or certainly our alerting system says, hey, pay attention here when there's something negative because that's sort of built into us as a means of making our way through life. But in this world that we're in now, we need to sort of raise up beyond that and say, actually, the sentence that you gave us just now, happiness is hard work and you have to decide to have it and you have to decide moment to moment to have it and say, you know, I could go over here and complain about this, or I could go over here and sh shine a light on something that will benefit people. So it's actually something you choose over and over and over again throughout the day. And it's not something that people should see as that person therefore has no strength of character or no awareness or is naive or, you know, doesn't understand the real problems of life. Maybe they understand the real problems more than you do and are making an active choice to try to change them in every moment of their day. Hmm. So I'm thinking of 
the beauty of how we experience each moment. Because there's moments and experiences and experiences and moments. So if we have a combination of a long-term perspective of dignity, so we can dignify each moment we transfer in alongside work ethic, then that will truly have us innerly functioning quite well. Yeah, quite well, quite well. Of course, these are words, right? And everyone has a different definition of them. So my idea of respect may be quite different from yours or, you know, the person on the bus sitting next to me. We may all have a different recipe for that word. And that can lead to a lot of confusion um, and challenge. But there's nothing wrong with asking someone, you know, what's your idea of respect? What's your idea of Dignif being dignified, being treating someone with kindness. You know, it's interesting. I remember I was visiting a, a client who had become a friend and uh, I was putting the knives in her dishwasher and I was putting them in with the sharp edge up. And I was doing that because for me, that was the thoughtful thing to do because in my dishwasher, the sharp edge will fall too far through. It's too thin and it will hit the, the fan as it goes around. So she sees me doing this and she thinks I'm being thoughtless because the sharp edge, she could hit her hand on it when she reaches in without paying attention. And of course, I would always pay attention because I know that I'm putting the sharp edge up and I'm doing it to save the dishwasher. So here we have a opposite act for the same reason of being thoughtful of each other, being careful, uh, taking care of things, taking care of people. Uh, and so I think it's a, a good example that says, you know, it's great to throw about words like respect and dignity and kindness and thoughtfulness. But if we don't get clarity on what someone else's idea of that is, we can often feel like they're not caring about us when they are. That, that is a, that is profound. Um, to understand other people's definitions and to understand other people's meanings. Because the dictionary can say one thing, but human living can actually define it differently, whatever reality that we are speaking of. Right. And whatever culture, whatever our spiritual beliefs are, all these things change what we see as right and wrong and kind and not kind. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because there's a, a spectrum of factors that cultivate the human uh, temperament as mm -hmm. well as human viewpoints. Uh, because we have 
of varied influences that make us think and feel what we think and feel. Right. In our outlook. So that is quite uh, truthful what you're saying. Speaking of thinking and feeling, how did you feel when, um, if you don't mind me asking you a question, um, how did you feel when they took Asperger's out of the diagnostic manual and just put it into the autism spectrum disorder? Um, hmm. I felt mixed feelings. One, I'm glad it's not considered super bad anymore. The mixed feelings are, will that still perpetuate stigmatizing my community? Because I know that that is still a global concern amongst many of us because we're everywhere. So it's I want to, I hope that whatever the experts decide to do, that it's helpful, that they um, try to reduce the stigma with, with removal or insertion. So it's a mixed bag. I don't know if what we call it will affect that much the stigma except for maybe just bringing it to light over and over again by changing names and things uh, gives us an opportunity to talk about it again in the news and um and explain it again and expose more people to it i think if anything what's helping our stigma the most is that there's just so many now i remember when i was in school there were no special people and now you know it's not like that anymore everybody knows somebody with something and um it's it's a more integrated world period everywhere i go even in the cultures that hide their special people they hide them less right um mm -hmm. so so stigma is going away i don't know if them not calling it asperger's anymore did that what i find interesting is that they got rid of it entirely um, and then just called it a, a form of high functioning uh, autism spectrum disorder. And so you would think people would stop using the term Asperger's, but nobody ever stopped. Everybody still identifies as Asperger's in their mind, um, as opposed to at least that I've talked to. I've never heard anybody say, um, I used to be Asperger's, now I'm high-functioning autistic, right? They just, they hold the um, the name and the label as their, part of their identity. And that's why I asked the question, if, if you had felt like that in any way challenged your identity of self when they got rid of the definition of Asperger's and just made it part of the autism spectrum. Um, or did you know they did that? Um, I, I just found out they did that um, by what you told me. And uh, I learned on the fly. I never really knew that earlier. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, so and when the diagnostic manual, the most recent one, the five came out, they removed Asperger's. Uh, it no longer is like sort of its own thing. 
and is now immersed into the spectrum. So um, there was a lot of people that were really angry about that, that felt very much like their group was separate from autism spectrum disorder. Um, and so that's why I was asking. I didn't know that you hadn't been aware. That, 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 that makes sense in terms of um, their, um, that um, way of perceiving it. I can totally identify with not wanting separatism or escapism. I know that I recently found out I had Asperger's this year. Um, I basically looked at the traits of Asperger's and discovered it was me. Um, especially, I've, I've always known myself to high functioning autism, but they never gave it a name. And so when I looked at the prodigal um, gifts that Asperger's, people with Asperger's have, I said, that's me, and then the characteristics overall said, this is me. I was able to put a name to it. They just said, oh, he has high-functioning autism, and the, the high-functioning autism that I could pinpoint was Asperger's. That's the only one I could ever pinpoint. And I said, I've been Asperger's this whole time, and I wasn't hurt at all. I actually liked it. I liked I like having Asperger's personally. I'm at that point now. That's it's so interesting because here you are recently getting the diagnosis that never that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and all along you had the one that they now call it. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But it is true that there is kind of a gathering of people when they when people identify themselves as Asperger's, they do tend to find each other more easily that way. And I, I see the benefit in that in a big way. Yes, and what I am thankful for is that I get to um, interact with you because you were able to give me a perspective and notification that I was totally unaware of. Um, and also, I didn't know that you had Asperger's too. So thank I thank you for reaching out to me because this made the interview so much better. Yeah, and it's an interesting thing being um, given a diagnosis as an adult anyway, but it's really interesting being given it um, historically. It's a unique set of circumstances. You know, we uh, had to sit and go through all of the things about my life in the past because I've done so many therapies and I work with uh, brain optimization tools and I've, you know, but I still had a lot of literal thinking, a lot, just enough that I figured, you know, I really should, see if I fit in this. And I don't anymore. I've um, adjusted and learned and changed so much that I don't, but I did. And so it's a very um, unique and arguable diagnosis, but still certainly helped me to 
feel better in a way. I was surprised. I didn't know that I would feel better getting an answer to sort of all these questions of my past of, you know, why, why was I weird? <laughs> why was I the weird one? Um, and why was I so comfortable raising all these kids and not worrying about having friends all the time or, you know, things like that. And um, once I got the diagnosis, it was even easier to sort of shed some of the symptoms that were still plaguing me. Um, yeah, it, it's a different, it's definitely unique in, in my life experience. Uh, it's unique to have what I would call a historical diagnosis of Asperger's that no longer exists anymore anyway. So it's all very, it all becomes very kind of, um, almost fabricated. It's like how people try to make sense of each other and they have to use words to uh, put together a picture and you really can't anyway. Ah, yeah. And when you use the word plagues, I felt that way for many years. I remember feeling ashamed of Asperger's, you know, I didn't know I had until now. I, I felt ashamed of the autism. Um, I felt ashamed so much I would try to sound as professorial pref as possible. Right. And I would try to sound like super, super educated because I was hoping mm -hmm. that the autism would go away, the Asperger's would go away. I yeah, I'm pretty sure nobody's ever been educated out of out of autism. I think, right. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like more likely you'll be more so because academia is certainly a more comfortable place to put your brain than um, interactions. So I don't think I don't think we <laughs> academically educate ourselves out of Asperger's. Thank you. Thank you for that lovely enlightening. Make me feel better. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and um, now I'm in love with autism. I wouldn't get rid of it. I'm sorry, say that again. I'm in love with my own autism, so I'm, I, I don't want it to be cured. And if you could, no, I don't right. want to get rid of it. Yeah, well, if you love you, then that's part of you, right? Exactly. It's, it's an interesting challenge. I work with a lot of parents, and they are often saying, you know, that they want to just get rid of the autism, that the, the child's fine if you could get rid of the autism. I'm like, they hope that's one and the same. If you hate their autism... You hate and, them. Yeah, you can't hate the autism and love the child. You have to, you have to love the child who is dealing with autism and you can't separate it that way. It's not a blanket you put on them and then take it off and go, Oh, look, <laughs> there you are. Yeah. No, you have to, you have to embrace what you are in order to grow in a direction that you see as beneficial. And that includes helping your kids. And um, I know for my end, I'm something that I love me and I love my autism because I am so effing being me. I make other people say they wish they had autism. Yes. 
That's awesome. <laughs> awesome autism. Thank you. Thank you. Um, is there anything else you wanted to say since we're free flowing? I didn't have a set list of questions and anything else you want to add in? Well, I can say that certainly this has been a, a very unique experience because you didn't have a, a set list of questions. We talked about a lot of things from a different vantage point than I usually am able to share, although I often think about them that way. Um, but, but your audience, I would assume, is primarily people on the spectrum. So maybe I can try and hand out, you know, like a few, a, a few gifts there. Um, what you said about loving your autism, I think it's really, really important to love yourself. And whatever that is, whether that's I'm myself with autism, I'm myself with tics, I'm myself with, you know, whatever that is, whatever that pack package is, you know, I love the fact that I'm in a wheelchair because every, everybody else has to, you know, kind of move out of the way and let me park in the handicapped spot or whatever it is, you want to embrace it all. But that doesn't mean that you can't try to grow beyond it. And I, I find... It's a challenge for people to say, "Hey, I love this about me, but that, but now I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and change it." I remember as a parent when I adopted the guys, and my one son who's super, 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 super afflicted with autism and brain disorder of of multiple types, actually fetal alcohol syndrome, retardation things. He's just, and he'd had a really hard time. He'd been locked in a closet. I mean, he just has a bad story. And um, I was always working with him and trying to help him and trying to help him and trying to help him. And then I would, I would feel so guilty. And I would think, wow, why do I feel, you know, I just, do I have the right to play God? This is who he is. Why am I asking him to be different? And one day I realized, oh, I'm, I'm just doing what parents do. We don't, it's not that I'm asking him to be different. It's not that I don't love him the way he is. It's that that's what parents do. They ask your child to learn the next thing. That's all. And that makes you different over time, but that's because you're supposed to learn the next thing and then learn the next thing, you know, and that relieved that guilt for me. But it also enabled me to look at myself in a new way and say, wait a minute, I can do that for me too. I can accept and love how I am and still ask myself to learn the next thing and to, you know, embrace a new relationship, make a friend, uh, learn to speak without all of the different uhs and ums and hesitations, smile and become lighthearted light instead of all serious every time I bowl, right? So, it, it really was a wonderful freedom to go, oh, that's all there is in life is learning. So I can continue to learn. And it doesn't have to be just academics. It can also be the things I'm challenged with. And maybe one day I won't have these problems. And that's what happened. One day I didn't have those problems. And he still does, by the way, but he's much better than he was and he's happier than he was and he's more gifted than he was. And that's because I asked him to learn the next thing all the time. 
So to me, that's the, the, the thing I'd like to share with the audience is wherever you're at, you have to embrace who you are, but that embracing and loving of self does not mean not trying to grow. It, it doesn't mean be stagnant here in this place. It just means I love who I am today. And I love that I'm going to grow and be even more tomorrow. Well, thank you for sharing uh, those tools uh, of wisdom. And um, I know that I did not uh, convey being um, stagnant um, because I look at the fact that I'm hosting a podcast and I'm writing, um, the fact that I have excellent people skills, the fact that I have a healthy sense of self-esteem and I never and I never go a day without mature, without maturation. Um that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Well thank you, Lynette, for being on the show. Now um if you feel safe and respected and comfortable the whole interview. Yeah, I thought it was great, actually. It was to totally fun. And I felt safe, comfortable, respected the whole interview, too. Um, this doesn't have to be our only time on the show. Um, but if that's something you want to do one time that's fine uh, hopefully you can keep in touch and i enjoyed having you on the program well thank you and thank you for sharing your audience with me i appreciate it ah uh, you're very welcome um take care okay right. bye-bye antonio